Well, good morning, everybody. We're just before 10, but we'll make a start anyway. Lovely to see you. Uh, surviving this cold weather, well done. Uh, just a few notices. Um, oh, welcome to those online as well. Welcome to you here in church. Uh, quite a few notices, uh, not surprising this time of year. Um, there are, you might have noticed, lots of tins of chocolates there right at the back to go out to businesses, to bless local businesses. So if you could, um, if you're able to, take one, sign up which one you're taking for, tick off the sheet, and then deliver this week to bless local businesses, shops, etc. That'd be wonderful. So that's right at the back um, there in the foyer as you go, please. It'd be wonderful. Um, tonight is a carol service at 6.30. Uh, with the community choir singing, uh, please be praying for all the arrangements, practical arrangements, etc., for that to go well. Uh, do invite friends and family and neighbours to come along too. Uh, on Christmas Eve, we've got the Crib Tingle service here at four o'clock. It's a family-friendly, all-age fun service uh, to celebrate the nativity stories. That's four o'clock on Christmas Eve. Uh, all are welcome, very welcome with that. And then, obviously. Uh, 11.15pm is the Christmas Eve midnight communion service uh, at uh, 11.15pm, as I said. Uh, and then Christmas Day, uh, our Holy Communion service is at 10 o'clock. Uh, that's next Sunday. Uh, we as the Hubbard family would love to invite you to our open house uh, that's happening on the 22nd, that's this Thursday, uh, in the vicarage just next door. Uh, please do arrive any time between 4 and 6 uh, we'll provide some food and mulled wine and mince pies. Uh, if you could bring a plate of sweet food or something to drink, it would be great. Uh, we'd love to, love to see you. Uh, the Pharaohs are having an open house on New Year's Day. Uh, uh, all are welcome at that. That is from 4 p.m. onwards. So that's the Pharaohs on New Year's Day. All are welcome at that. Uh, and lastly, uh, Christmas cards are piling up in the pigeonholes, apparently. So if you could... Check your pigeonhole for Christmas post. That'd be wonderful. Okay, we're going to light, I'm going to light four Advent candles. There's a response we're going to say, having lit these candles. Let your light shine. Let your spirit soar. Throw open your mind. Hand over your heart. Here it comes, love. We say it again. It shines in the darkness. It sings in the shadows. It will not cower and cannot be contained. It was the hope of the saints, the call of the prophets, it was the fire in the belly, the belly of the Baptist and the courage of Mother Mary. Lamp in the window, beacon on the hill, star in the night sky, love, you lead us home. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, we light a candle for love. We light a candle for love. May it light the way. And so let's stand and sing our opening Songs beginning with Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's stand and worship the Lord together.
please do have a seat. And so we're going to pray now the prayer preparation as we worship our almighty God. And we pray this prayer together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. Lord, have mercy. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins, to be our advocate in heaven, and to bring us to eternal life. So we come before God to confess our sins in penitence and faith, firmly resolved to keep God's commandments and to live in love and peace with all. And so we're going to use this prayer confession and say together, Almighty God, long-suffering and of great goodness, I confess to you, I confess with my whole heart my neglect and forgetfulness of your commandments my wrongdoing, thinking, and speaking, the hurts I have done to others, and the good I have left undone. O God, forgive me, for I have sinned against you, and raise me to, oh God, and raise me to newness of life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon you, pardon you and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and keep you in life eternal, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so we're going to stand and sing this lovely song where we proclaim we are going to adore him this Advent time. Let's stand and sing this together.
Collect for the fourth Sunday in Advent. God, our Redeemer, who prepared the Blessed Virgin Mary to be the mother of your Son, grant that as she looked for his coming as our Saviour, so we may be ready to greet him when he comes again as our Judge, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Do be seated. For the youngsters amongst us, there's a very, very few this morning. Um, Rachel's got something for you to do at the back, uh, if you'd like to go and do that, and uh, uh, stay in the room with us. But uh, as that happens, Malcolm's going to come and read us our Bible reading, and then John uh, will be preaching. The reading today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. It can be found on the Church Bible on page 692. 692. Isaiah chapter 7. Again, The Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, The land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for John, shall we? Father, we uh, pray your hand be upon John now as he preaches, as he speaks to us from your word. Uh, We pray that our hearts and our ears and our eyes will be open to you, to receiving what you're saying and putting it to practice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Gracious me, you all look very solemn this morning. Have you not heard? It's Christmas. I hope you folks watching at home are feeling a bit more jolly than these folks here. Doing whatever you do, sat in your gym jams, eating your breakfast. We're very welcome. You're very welcome to join us. Well, Malcolm's just read our passage this morning. Um, 
Isaiah chapter 7. And this, this passage uh, from Isaiah is often chosen at this time of year because, of course, that phrase that's in it about a virgin conceiving a son and calling him Emmanuel. But we need to understand that first and foremost, these words were written for the people of the time. Ahaz and, and his mob. Otherwise, what Isaiah said to them wouldn't have made any sense and wouldn't have helped them at all. So we need to look, first of all, what was going on at the time that Isaiah was giving Ahaz these messages uh, and, and what, it, what he was saying to the people of Judah through them. Now, the kingdom of Israel had split a couple of hundred years before this event takes place. And uh, some tribes wanted one king and some wanted another. And so Israel went off to be the northern kingdom and Judah was the southern kingdom. And Ahaz was the king of Judah. And that's the guy that's focused in our passage this morning. Ahaz was the king of Judah. And he was in a bit of a fix because the Assyrians were coming. And the Assyrians were the great power of the day. They had the great empire and they were expanding all over the place and they were coming south and Judah was in their sights. But also, the, the, the northern kingdom, Israel, had made a pact with Syria and those two neighbors of Judah were, were getting together, they'd made a pact, and they wanted Judah to join them so that the three of them could stand together to fight the Assyrians when it came. Now, um, it's, it seems like a good plan, but Ahaz wasn't very happy. He wasn't willing to do it. And so these two neighbors were, were planning to invade Judah, get rid of Ahaz, and put a puppet king in his place so that the three kingdoms together could fight the Assyrians. So Ahaz was stuck. He didn't really want to join with uh, Syria and Israel. He didn't really, he was frightened of the Assyrians coming. What on earth was he going to do? Enter Isaiah the prophet. And he comes with a message from God. And this is in the first part of chapter 7, which we, we didn't read. But it comes with a message from God. Don't worry about these two neighbors who are going to attack you. They talk big, but they're nothing. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. They will not defeat you. Well, I'd be thrilled to hear a message like that from God. That's wonderful. Ah, God's, God's going to be on our side. However, Ahaz, the king of Judah, was not a man of great faith. You're a bit wishy-washy. And so God knew that. And so God, through Isaiah offers him a sign. To prove that I'm going to do this for you, I'll give you a sign. What would you like? Something in the heavens above? Would you like the sun to move backwards? Whatever. I'll do that for you. But Ahaz was both cowardly and cunning. And he knew that if he asked for a sign and God performed it, he would have to trust God and, and do what the prophet had told him. But what, Isaiah, what Ahaz really wanted was to do some sort of deal with the Assyrians. He'd rather cozy up to the Assyrians than, uh, than to do what, what God had asked him to do. And so Ahaz says, oh, I couldn't possibly ask God for anything. I will not put God to the test. Oh, you're right, heap like ever so humble. 
a seeming spiritual way out. <laughs> it's the word Jesus used against the devil's temptation in the wilderness. So do not put God to the test. But it wasn't the same, was it? I mean, here, Ahaz wasn't demanding a sign from God to test him. On the contrary, God was offering him a sign to encourage him. I'll read to you from the message translation of the Bible what happened next. So, Isaiah told him, then listen to this, government of David. It's bad enough that you make people tired with your pious, timid hypocrisies. But now you're making God tired. So the master's going to give you a sign anyway. Watch for this. A girl who is presently a virgin will get pregnant. She'll bear a son and name him Emmanuel, God with us. By the time the child is 12 years old, able to make moral decisions, the threat of war will be over. Relax, those two kings that have so worried you will be out of the picture. But also be warned, God will bring on you and your people and your government a judgment worse than anything since the time the kingdom was split when Ephraim left Judah. The king of Assyria is coming. So that was the message that Isaiah brought to Ahaz. Now, it talks about this woman getting pregnant, and we don't know who this woman was. That would have been something that happened in their day. I know we like to think about it as happening 700 years later, but that would have been something that happened in their day. We don't know who the woman was. She might have been the queen of Ahaz. She might have been the wife of Isaiah. She might have been a princess in the palace. We, we really don't know. But actually, that bit isn't important because the key to the message is the chronology, it's the timing. And, and Isaiah is saying to Ahaz, in a few years, this child's going to be born, and in a few years, it would be about 12 years when they're considered to be of an age to con you know, know good and evil. When this child is old enough, by that time, his enemies will be destroyed. It's that that's the key part of the message. Don't worry about who the woman was. But it's the chronology of what was going to happen. The birth will happen now. And by the time this child is 12 years old, these two kings will be gone. And it all happened. It all happened. Israel first, and then a couple of years later, Syria, were overrun by Assyrians. And their kings were killed. And their people were taken into exile. The threat to Ahaz from Israel and Syria disappeared. And the rest of the chapter makes it clear that this was God's doing. I love the next bit. Uh, the Lord will whistle flies from Egypt and bees from the land of Assyria. That's lovely. The Lord's going to do this. Oh, Assyria, Egypt, come on, wipe these guys out. They're at his command. Lovely. I, I, I just love the imagery there. The sting in the tale, of course, was that Isaiah told Ahaz that Judah, too, would now suffer the same fate. Ahaz was reluctant to trust God. But, you know, he went from that to a nominal weak faith in God to leading his people to complete apostasy. He cozied up to Tigi, the Assyrian king. He was called Tiglath. 
Pileser III. What on earth was his mother thinking? Tiglath Pileser III. Tiggy to his friends. Ahaz cozied up to the king of Assyria, gave him all the gold and silver from the temple. He even adopted the vile practices of the Assyrian gods, sacrificing his son in a fire. Ahaz was, in the end, a very evil king. But cozying up to the Assyrians made no difference. As Isaiah prophesied, the Assyrians swept in and devastated Judah as well. He says, the Lord will use a razor, the king of Assyria. I know about razors. You'll have noticed that I've suffered with a razor uh, recently. But it's a lovely image in it, raising. And we talk about raising the countryside. That's what he, he swept in and, and raised everything to the ground. Well, you know, that's a quick overview of what was going on. There, there are versions of this in 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles 28 with all sorts of other details and things. And you may think those three passages don't fit together very well, but think of it like this. If you were to look at an event that's happening today and then read an account in The Telegraph, The Guardian, and The Sun, you'd get three very different versions with very different details and very different focus. And that's what's happening there. But it's helpful to read all all three passages. So this is happening around 750 BC, 730 BC over two and a half thousand years ago. So what? Well, there are, some still, there are still some some very important themes in it for us today. Firstly, God knew exactly what was going on and what would happen. Secondly, God was actively involved. He it was who whistled up the flies from Egypt and the bees from Assyria. He it was who used the Assyrians to raise Judah to the ground. It's often a case in the Bible we read that God used other nations to work out his purposes. The exile that Israel and Judah both suffered were God's way of bringing them back to true faith in him. Only when left to their own devices and they got in a terrible mess did they realize how important God was to their survival. Exile for a while was tough medicine, but it was necessary to work out God's ultimate plans for the future. But of course, dramatic pause. Of course, the words of the prophets are often deeper and more profound than just a word for the time when they were spoken. Often, within the same paragraph or sentence, there are things about the past, the present, and the future. And that's true in these verses as well. There was certainly much about the present situation for Ahaz and Judah. There was also something of what was going to happen in a dozen years' time to Israel and Syria. And there was something even further in the future, something that would happen to Judah itself. And then there is something which speaks to 700 years in the future. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Well, that's an accurate description of the birth of Jesus, spoken 700 years before it happened. I am sure that Isaiah had no idea 
that he was speaking something which would happen 700 years hence. But that makes it even more amazing. It shows that God put the words in his mouth. But uh, God often inspired his prophets to leave hints and clues as to what he was going to do, sometimes a long time in the future, without those prophets realizing it. This is not the only instance of a a phrase from the Old Testament prophets speaking about Jesus. Josh McDowell, in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, says that there are 300 details about Jesus in the Old Testament, all of them written at least 400 years before it happened. Subtle clues hidden away like this one that we're looking at this morning. They cover such things as where he would be born, his family line, the sort of ministry he would have, at least 29 with details of the last day of his life, his betrayal and trial and death and burial. And all of these were fulfilled in Jesus. God left all those hints, all those little clues, hundreds of years before, and it happened in Jesus. Now, some people might say these things coming true to Jesus just happened by chance. I need to say that's very, very unlikely. There's a guy called Peter Stoner, mathematician, excellent, excellent fellow. He took just eight of these prophecies and calculated the probability that all eight could have come true in one man. And he calculated that probability to be one in 10 to the power 17. Now, if you're not into mathematics, that's one with 17 noughts. I think that comes out about one chance in a hundred thousand trillion. One chance in a hundred thousand trillion that that would happen in one man. Just to get an idea of what that sort of probability is like, Mark, uh, cover the UK, the whole of the UK, in ten pence coins to about my height, five foot six. Well, I'm five foot five and a half, but five foot, yeah, five foot six. So you've got 10 pence coins covering the whole of the UK to my height. Put a red dot on one of them and take it off and put it anywhere at any depth that you like. Then you take, well, it need to be somebody quite tall. You don't need to take a Phil or, or an Ian Taylor or a Malcolm uh, and blindfold them. And let them wonder, it's got to be somebody tall, because at five foot six, you know, they'd be... So imagine Phil up to his shoulders, wading through, and he can pick any one of the coins throughout the whole of the UK, covered uh, five foot six in coins. What's the chance that he picks the one with a red dot? (laughs) Astronomical. But that... That's the chance of eight of these prophecies coming true in one person, and there were actually 300 possibilities. This was not by chance. These were deliberate clues given by God, showing that this Jesus who came was part of his plans and purposes for mankind and always had been. 
God knew about it from the beginning. And he gave these little clues to show that he was in control and he knew what was happening. So what does all this tell us? Well, a few things. Here are a few of the important ones. The first is this. God is the Lord of history. In Isaiah's day, he told them what was coming in the immediate future and the long-term future. He is the Lord of both. He spans history. He knows the end from the beginning. So all the things the Bible tells us, and particularly for us here today, about the future coming of Jesus and eternal life for all God's children, those promises, what he says, are faithful and trustworthy and true, and we can depend on them because the the God who speaks them is the God of history. He knows the end from the beginning. We know, uh, we don't know anything about some of the times and the seasons. God is working with a very different clock than ours. But in his good time, at the right time, these things will come to pass because our God is the Lord of history. Our God is the sovereign Lord, working out his purposes over the years, and no power on earth or scheme of man can defeat him. The two kings that Ahaz feared were swept away. Assyria, the great empire of the day, was just a tool God used to achieve his long-term plans and purposes. God whistled them up. And when they'd done what he wanted them to do, Assyria got snuffled and wiped away as well. So whatever we see around us, however powerful other nations seem to be, However powerful, arrogant rulers and rich elites consider themselves to be, God's plans and purposes will not be thwarted. All these other things will be swept away when God so chooses. And thirdly, God is the Lord of love and compassion. You may think that getting his special chosen people sent into exile is a strange way of showing his love. (laughs) but they were a wayward people. They had constantly turned away from God despite all that he had done for them, adopting false gods and the practices of nations around them. But God doesn't destroy them. He doesn't abandon them. Rather, he allows the consequences of their waywardness to be worked out. Without him, they're weak and vulnerable to be overwhelmed by other nations. But always the promise is that when they come to their senses, he will restore them. And he does. God says, this is what's going to happen. But you go your own way, see where it takes you. And when you're ready, I'll bring you back. And, and his faithfulness to the people of Israel was constant despite their unfaithfulness. All these prophecies about Jesus coming are God saying, I will not leave you or abandon you. I'm sending a savior to save you, to enable you to enter into a relationship with me again, however far you have drifted. And that's that's his message throughout. I love you and I will keep you. I will be there for you. You go off and do what you want for a while. (laughs) That's okay. But when you're ready, I'll bring you back. God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is his faithful, amazing, persistent love. He had always planned that that would happen. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? So as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, he reminds us that our God is the Lord of history. Only he knows the end from the beginning. Only he is working out his purposes. Our Lord is sovereign. Rulers and dictators and powerful forces, however dominant and seemingly indestructible they may be, are as nothing to him. Nothing, and certainly no person, can thwart his plans. His faithful, persistent love will prevail for our highest good. All these wonderful truths are evident in the events of Christmas. This is God at work. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. I made a note of those points, and let's remind ourselves again what John's been saying. God is the God of history, the Lord of history. He is sovereign over all. He knows everything. He is the God of love and compassion, and he will restore in his time. Who can know the mind of our Creator? Our God is a God who is amazing and deserves our worship. Let's stand and sing this song together.
do have a seat as we come to a time of intercession. And God is not only the God of history and God of sovereign power and love and compassion, he's also God who wants to hear from us and us to hear from him. That's what we call prayer. And so the gift of prayer is amazing, isn't it? We can speak to God and he can speak to us as we wait on him. I want you to imagine a pebble being thrown into water. And as the pebble hits the water, the, the, the ripples start to go out from the center to the edge of the pond or the edge of the pool. And uh, that's how we're going to pray today. We're going, to, we're going to pray from the center outwards as that pebble hits the pond. And uh, there's a response that will uh, be part of these prayers. And so when I say God of creation, God of salvation, uh, I invite you to, to say, hear the prayers of our hearts. So God of creation, God of salvation, hear the prayers of our hearts. So shall we pray. And so as we picture the pebble dropping into the water and hitting the water in the center of the pond, we pray firstly for those who are closest to us. Pray for our immediate family and our closest friends and for our church family here at Christ Church. Praying for people's health, praying for people's needs, their joys and fears. Let's have a time of quiet to pray. God of creation, God of salvation, hear the prayers of our hearts. As the ripples spread out a little more, we pray for our extended family and friends who we may not see each week. And we pray for their health and well-being. And we pray for those we support in prayer and financially, who are serving God overseas or in this country. Let's have a time of prayer quietly. God of creation, God of salvation, Hear the prayers of our hearts. As the ripples reach out further towards the edge of the pond, we pray for those who we have only have contact with less regularly, maybe each year or even less. We pray a blessing on them this Advent time. Let's have a time of quiet prayer. God of creation, God of salvation, hear the prayers of our hearts. As the ripples reach their furthest point, we pray for this world and its people. 
for politicians, for rulers, for leaders, those in the media, those who have influence in whatever sphere. Let's have a time of quiet prayer. God of creation, God of salvation, who speaks to us through thunder and whisper, who loves us as if there were none but one of us to love. Hear the prayers of our hearts. Amen. And so we come to the peace. Remembering, of course, there are various things going around, bugs and COVID and so on is still spreading around. So uh, for those of you who uh, want to uh, maintain social distance, just remain seated and others of us will respect that. But do stand as we share the peace. In the tender mercy of our God, the day spring from on high shall break upon us to give light to those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let's share the peace with each other. And so, as we prepare to share communion, we're going to sing this lovely song, Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away.
We're going to use Eucharistic Prayer A. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right. It is our duty and our joy at all times and in all places to give you thanks and praise. Holy Father, Heavenly King, Almighty and Eternal God, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. For he is your living word. Through him you have created all things from the beginning and formed us in your own image. Through him you have freed us from the slavery of sin, giving him to be born of a woman and to die upon the cross. You raised him from the dead and exalted him to your right hand on high. Through him you have set upon us your holy and life-giving spirit and made us a people for your own possession. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name, forever praising you and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Accept our praises, Heavenly Father, through your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ. And as we follow his example and obey his command, grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit, these gifts of bread and wine may be to us his body and his blood. Who in the same night that his betrayed took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper he took the cup. And he gave it to them saying, drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. Which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. Therefore, Heavenly Father. We remember his offering of himself, made once for all upon the cross. We proclaim his mighty resurrection, glorious ascension. We look for the coming of your kingdom. And with this bread and this cup, we make the memorial of Christ, your Son, our Lord. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Accept through him, our great high priest, this our sacrifice of thanks and praise. And as we eat and drink these holy gifts in the presence of your divine majesty, renew us by your spirit, inspire us with your love, and unite us in the body of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, with all who stand before you in earth and heaven, we worship you, Father Almighty, in songs of everlasting praise. Blessing and honour and glory and power be yours for ever and ever. Amen. And so, as our Saviour has taught us, we pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one Lord, because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you. And feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving.
Christ keep you in eternal life. Amen. The blood of Christ keep you in eternal life. Let's pray for those who aren't able to be here with us this morning. Father, we lift to you those who are unable to be with us in church this morning. We pray for them wherever they are, however they are. Lord, we know you're with them, and we know that you will touch them by your spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would heal and be with those who need your touch right now. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us wherever we are, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we pray this prayer together. Generous God, you have fed us at your heavenly table. Set us on fire with your spirit, that when Christ comes again, we may shine like lights before his face, who with you and the spirit lives forever. 
Amen. And so we stand and sing our final hymn, Tell Out My Soul, wonderful hymn of praise. Let's stand and sing together. God the Father, who loved the world so much that he sent his only Son, give you grace to prepare for life eternal. Amen. May God the Son, who comes to us as Redeemer and Judge, reveal to you the path from darkness to light. Amen. And may God the Holy Spirit, by whose working the Virgin Mary conceived the Christ, help you bear the fruits of holiness. Amen. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon you this day, now, and always. Amen. We go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. In the name of Christ.